This is She Sparks Tech, a podcast about women who take technology to heart in their careers. We will explore stories about women who think creatively, find new directions, solve problems, and chase passions, all through technology. I'm your host, Casey Bertelsman, and I am excited about showcasing amazing women and their careers, covering both expected and unexpected directions to expand our idea of tech careers, and in hopes of inspiring each of us to think a little bit bigger. We are having another wonderful episode of the She Sparks Tech podcast. And today I have Mace here with me. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Hey, everyone. Excited to be here. I'm Mace. I'm a geneticist turned product manager. I actually started my career as a scientist. I did genetics and neuroscience research for over 10 years before I realized what I was most excited about is how do you take these really exciting innovations and discoveries from the lab and really bring them into the hands of patients or customers? So to that end, throughout my career, I've really worked at this intersection of life sciences, healthcare and product, and have worked on products really from bench to bedside. Some of the products I've worked on are very much for scientists. And then I've also worked on technologies that are closer to the bench. So most recently I had worked on a clinical decision support using AI and machine learning on voice. Okay, that's very, very cool. And I read your bio, I looked at your LinkedIn, and I'm like, this is a very, very cool application of what you went to school for. So you went to school for biology and genetics. And what made you decide to explore that specific avenue? I mean, I think one of the really great parts of the scientist training is that the the training for a scientist is really how do you bring structure and organization to ambiguity? A lot of times when I was a scientist, my experiments were really take me in directions I wasn't expecting. And so whenever that happened, I had to learn something new, whether it was new lab protocols or new techniques or read a lot of papers on different pathways that I wasn't necessarily familiar with. And that has really helped me throughout my career in going into new areas, being able to learn those very quickly, and then translating kind of strategy to actionable, executable tasks and, and projects and going with that. And so I, I think the scientist training is, is really great for that. It's always good to ask good questions and then figure out a way to test that. And even if the answer is, you know, sometimes no, you know, for example, these two genes don't actually interact with each other. No, that's disappointing, but it's still better than having an unclear answer and you, know, you still learn something new. Yeah, definitely. And talking about kind of strategy and direction, I think there's a really special place for that science background paired with business that way also, because the science gives you like that problem-solving structure that you can put into place. And while you were getting your PhD, you were also getting a business master's degree. And I mean, getting a PhD is hard enough without adding that dual degree. I think everyone can kind of, uh, a lot of people can understand that even if they can't relate to pursuing either one of those. But what made you decide to pursue, I guess, both of those directions? Did it feel natural? 
Oh, yeah. Oh, so to clarify, I didn't get a master's in business. I did do a business certification program. Well, while I was in grad school, I I went to Stanford. So there were a lot of opportunities to to do startups or be part of entrepreneurship efforts. And so I I did take an entrepreneurship business kind of mini MBA course while I was there, which was a, a lot of fun. And, you know, I decided to pursue both because I, you know, one of the challenges from the science side is you end up focusing on a, you end up becoming an expert in a very specific part of the world. There's a really good XKCD comic that does it well, where, you know, it shows the the circle and then, a, a, you know, you go really deep in one area. And what the, the business part was helpful for was kind of taking a step back and seeing how it fits into the ecosystem. Because you, I see so many amazing technologies from the, the lab, but then there, there is very much this challenge of how do you cross the chasm? How do you bring it to the market? And those challenges are also super interesting as well. And especially when you're working on an earlier stage technology, really taking an experimental approach is quite powerful where you're trying different approaches to see what sticks for your go-to-market. Yeah, I, I completely understand that. And I mean, there's it takes a very, very specific skill set to be able to take this work that you're so passionate about in the lab and be able to step back and communicate to the appropriate people how it is utilized on a larger scale, not just looking at your specific comment earlier about how two genes don't interact. The greater public may have no interest or see no application to something like that, but then you step back, you say, okay, this is how we apply it, and then you get it in front of the right people and you communicate it at the correct technical level for those stakeholders. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And the the translation piece is, is always definitely, or I feel like a lot of times we're speaking a, a different language depending on the group. And so I, um, so, you know, for example, a lot of my family is um, computer scientists and technologists, and so they don't have the science background. And I find that in my personal life, a lot of times, um, especially if I'm talking about science, I have to communicate it at a different level, depending on the person I talk to. So when I talk to my family, I have to really take a step back and think about, okay, I can't just use all of this jargon. I, I need to really explain what, what it is I'm actually doing. And that's been really helpful for me to make sure that I can always explain what I'm doing or explain different concepts or new things I see in the field to, to different audiences. Yeah, it's... It's a very important skill, and I find that it's one that like people are constantly working on to excel at it because it is so valuable. Yeah, definitely. It's almost, in, in some ways, it's almost like speaking different languages. To... Yeah, it's, it's key to see anything kind of take off and get further than like a written paper and have it move forward kind of in the world that way. So... You did your first about 10 years of your career doing research. And I guess, was that within a higher ed space or was it private companies or was it kind of a mixture as far as where you were doing research? Yeah, I actually had a good mixture, mostly in academia. But I also did, actually, I did a little bit of research kind of across all the sectors, funnily enough. So most of it was in academia, but... I also, I, I grew up in Maryland, actually, so was very close to all the government agencies. 
I, I think, you know, every other family had, you know, every other one of my friends had a parent who worked at the NIH or uh, you know, one of the national labs. And so, you know, I've had exposure to the NIH and then I've also done nonprofit research as well. So Howard Hughes is a, a large funder in the sciences. And when I did have an opportunity to do a summer internship at Junelia Farm, which was one of the Howard Hughes Institutes. So have a little bit of perspective on all of that, but mostly in academia. Yeah. Very cool. And what was it that made you decide to actually leave research and go into industry work? Yeah, a couple of reasons. I, one of the big ones was the one I mentioned earlier where I was really excited about how do you get this really exciting science, R&D innovations out to uh, an impact a larger audience. The piece about the you know, going into industry that I also enjoyed is that you spend a lot more time working with people across different functions as well, where a lot of times when I was a scientist at the bench, you have to work with a lot of other really brilliant scientists, but at the end of the day, you don't get to necessarily interact with people with different backgrounds a lot, especially when you're a grad student, you're really heads down in the sciences. And the part of that I really enjoyed in industry is you get to work with people from different backgrounds. Um, in my first role in biopharma consulting, I actually got to work with people who used to be clinical, you know, either people who used to be MDs or PharmDs, or people who came from a really, you know, pure business background or public health background. And, you know, I've enjoyed working with people from different backgrounds and different functions. And I've found that moving into industry, um, especially dip, um, in roles that are more commercial facing, you get to really interface with a lot of people. And one of my favorite parts is, you know, working with people from the commercial side or, or hearing from the customer and bring that back to, for example, the engineers or the scientists so that we can continue to make the product or the projects we're working on better. Yeah, I love that. It feels very rare. I guess I'm speaking as someone who did not do lab work, but it always feels fairly sequestered, I guess, is the word that comes to mind. You know, you're dealing with other people in labs exclusively a lot of the time. You aren't always seeing some of those other stakeholders unless, you know, it may be paperwork or research papers, but it's not the same kind of cross disciplinary collaboration to move things forward. Yeah, definitely. And, and also at the end of the day, science is really hard. It's a lot of long timelines as well, where, you know, coming into the tech and data world, I am, you know, so, or it's, it's impressive how much data you can get so quickly. Whereas I, I have a lot of appreciation for that because when I was a scientist at the bench, it took a long time to get data, you know, experiments you would think about in kind of one to two week cycles, if, if not longer. I worked with fruit flies, which were, you know, kind of somewhere between, in terms of generation time, it was somewhere between microbes, you know, bacteria and yeast to, you know, it was definitely much longer than that, but it was much shorter if you compare it to, for example, mouse models. Um, but still my, my experiments would kind of be, you know, sometimes I would design crosses for my fruit flies and it would take a couple of weeks sometimes even months to get the right fruit flies I wanted to work with. And just the cycle of iteration is quite long and it can be quite time consuming. You remember a lot of long days and, and weekends in the lab. Um, but, you know, I also look fondly on that time too, because, 
it was a really unique position where really early in my career, you know, in my early 20s, I got to work on really interesting, complex problems and, you know, had a lot of autonomy over that where I got to take my experiment in different directions. And that's kind of rare to, you know, get, especially in your early 20s when you start a career. And, you know, granted, I was a student, but it was still quite a lot of autonomy on, you know, working on a project. Yeah, it's it's not something that I have personal experience with, but, you know, I have a couple of friends who've gone through PhD programs and like it can be really intimidating having that much autonomy, but it's also, it gives you a lot of freedom to determine direction and what kind of research and what you think matters, whether or not you're able to prove that it does or does not. But it it gives you that unique background going into an industry role because you've had so much freedom doing that. You're not just you are an individual contributor, but you're also a project manager and you're probably dealing with stakeholders at some point if you have grant work and writing all of the proposals. There's so many pieces that are that are beyond a typical entry-level role in a lot of instances. It's education, but it was also a really good experience too. And one surprising transferable skill I found is that, you know, having done a lot of different protocols in the lab operations was something that I hadn't done a ton of professionally, but was able to pick up very easily just because in the lab, I had to you know, translate what I did into different protocols. And a lot of operations is like that too, where you're figuring out, you know, how do I define these different projects and, and break them down, which when I take a step back, I'm like, oh, that's a lot like science. Yeah, it, it has a really clear parallel you may need to communicate more clearly to some people than others. Saying that, how did you find that fit in project management to be when you took on that first role? Challenges, things that fit well, um, anything like that? Yeah, so your question is around, you know, taking, uh, going from the lab to my first biopharma industry role? Yes. Yeah, so... You know, one of the biggest learnings I had when I first started in industry was I was in biopharma management consulting. So it was helping different biopharma companies do a lot of market research, talk to different stakeholders across healthcare. So think of insurance companies or or different doctors, um, sometimes key opinion leaders who are really experts in their respective disease areas and really understanding what is the current state of a disease? What are the different therapeutics or diagnostics that they use? And then getting feedback, for for example, doing some competitive analysis, figuring out for this given type of disease, what are the different therapeutics that get used? When I think about that, in biopharma consulting, a lot of times, at least at the, uh, at the company that I was at, we would do two or three projects at a time. And so sometimes that meant you know, one week you're doing cardiology and then three months later you're doing oncology. And so it's it was a lot of being able to learn and ramp up in a new field quite quickly, which was a pretty natural transition from the lab. I think the part that was different was definitely the pace where, you know, in the lab, my, my professor and I would talk every few weeks and 
it would very much be, hey, these experiments take a couple of weeks, let's chat in two or three weeks, see how those experiments are doing. Whereas, you know, in industry, it's definitely faster paced. So you, you don't, you can't just disappear for weeks to do research on a topic. You're interviewing five key opinion leaders this week or five key opinion leaders the next two days. By the end of day two, tell, tell us, synthesize your findings. And so I, I think the biggest change was kind of the, the pace and then being more comfortable with coming to a conclusion or coming to a recommendation, even with imperfect data. So in, in science, it was very much getting to the 95 to you know, 99% certainty, whereas in industry, a lot of times, you know, if you get to 70, 80%, that's, that's good enough. You, you need to commit, decide, come up with your recommendation and, and move on. Yeah, I think it's like, it's very, I love the way that you were able to kind of outline those parallels. And that shows like some of the mental shift that you have to do so that you're like, you can still be confident in the work you're doing without a manager asking, why haven't, why haven't we pushed this out? And you're like, well, we're at 85%. And they're like, 85 is great. Let's move. And you're like, what? <laughs> it's not acceptable. <laughs> yeah, definitely kind of different levels of, of certainty. And, you know, both, both are fine. It's kind of making sure you understand your, your audience or, or your stakeholders and figuring out what level is, is good for them. Yeah, I would say one of the big things that we see within industry is you reach a point where, you know, you have a minimum viable product and you have to push it out and get that feedback. So then that feedback is what gets you that other 30%, that 20%. So you could spend an extensive amount of time reaching a level that you might in research expectations, but then need to change because it does not actually meet the needs that you want for that end product. Yeah, definitely that resonates a lot. And in product, that is something that's really key is getting to your minimal viable product and then getting it out into the world and getting feedback. Um, and that, that also uh, always reminds me of the experimental design cycle where you, you have your hypothesis, like I think this MVP is good for my customer, but you really have to get it to your customers and get their feedback. And a, a lot of times you learn something that you don't expect to learn, which is always very re rewarding. And it oh, it has really instilled in me. It's really important to get something out, even if it's imperfect, you know, just get it out and, and get that feedback. Yes, definitely. Can you share a little bit more about what it's like being part of early stage startups and what does that look like? I would guess a lot of it can feel like drinking from a fire hose. There's so much happening so fast because that's just how the tech world is. You have to move fast. And I guess, how did you handle those pieces of it, making that transition? Yeah, I've had a lot of really good times in the startup world because you you get to wear a lot of hats. It, it is definitely like drinking from a fire hose. You take on a, a lot of different functions a lot of the times. And you, you also, uh, you know, in a, in a good startup, it, it's really a bonding experience. You really bond with your team members and it very much feels like you know, it's your small company, the underdog really going against the world and trying to bring this new product to market, which is always very exciting and empowering. And in terms of working at startups, I've worked at a 
seed stage startup, that was eight people where we would all sit at the same desk together. And then I, I've also been at a startup that was a, a little bit later stage where, you know, came in when it was around 10, 15 people. And um, when I left, it was around 30 people and we raised our Series A. So that was, you know, quite exciting to see a company scale. And then, you know, depending on the person, some people may or may not consider this a startup, but I've, I was also at a company that went public when I was there and, you know, we were around a thousand people. So it's, it's definitely as the organization grows bigger and more mature, your functions get more defined. And so a lot of times you, you know, for example, when I was at that large biotech company, you, I, I did get to focus all of my time on doing what people would traditionally think of as product management. So working with the users, getting their feedback, bringing that back to engineers and, and doing that whole cycle, you know, doing roadmap planning, doing a lot of alignment. Um, but in the early stage, a lot of times it would look very different. So at one of the startups I was at, it was, I, I, I was both doing account management, business development, marketing, and, and also product management. So a little bit of everything. It was, you know, it was a lot of fun. You, you really get to learn a lot. A lot of times you also get thrown into things you don't necessarily had experience with before. So for example, at that eight-person startup, that was really where I got to know what product management was in the first place, where I was brought in for making slide decks um, from my biopharma consulting experience. And I was also brought in because I was the first person on the team to have a deep life sciences background. So I knew, really knew our end customers well and, and their products well. And from that experience, I that was where I, I didn't really know what product management was before that, but that was when I learned like, oh, I really like talking to the customers and bringing that feedback back to the team and, and figuring out how do we build a new feature or how do we make our app better so that the, the customers engage with it more? How do we measure success of the app? And so that was, you know, it was a really good place to try different things and see what you enjoy. Um, you know, I also got to try out some so marketing as well, or, you know, different, making different announcements for product features and you know, got to play around with kind of marketing and figuring out like, oh, this is what marketing or growth looks like. You know, you really focus on the funnel, you really optimize what are the parts of an email, for example, that will really lead your users to engage with it. Yeah. And since you've seen so many different stages of the startup now, is there one that you feel like you prefer to be in as far as like the eight people or like the thousand or like a 30 to 50 kind of growing range? Does one feel best suited for your skills? Yeah, that's a good question. It's different depending on the different life stage you're in. So there's times in your life where you, for example, want to prioritize more, you know, better work-life balance. And then there are times where you, you, know, you see a really cool idea or you meet some founders who have a really cool vision and you're like, well, I, I don't have that much other stuff going on in my personal life, so um, you might as well spend some time on the startup. So you know, I would say it, it really depends um, and you know, kind of enjoyed. There are definitely things to enjoy and definitely challenges at companies of different stages. You know, in, in a startup, it's it can definitely be a lot of long hours. Um, so, 
it, it really depends. Yeah. I, and I can understand that. I could see, you know, the like starting at a group where there's eight people, I can imagine that can be a lot of long days. It can be potentially weekends, but the amount that you are learning from that is completely different because it's going to be a bigger variety. You're probably in a pretty flat leadership structure. So you get to really work and connect with, you know, you're all at a desk essentially was your experience with that. As opposed to a thousand people, it can be harder to potentially interact with leadership or you probably won't know everyone's name and it's harder to buy into all of the pieces at that stage. But you are getting to be very, very specific about your work. You show up to work every day and you have a pretty good idea what you'll be doing that week. Yeah, definitely. That's a really good way to put it. There's also a different level of ambiguity too. And you know, this is also not to say that there there are definitely, you know, ambiguous and long hours at large companies too. But you know, kind of just uh, overall uh, generalizing. But yeah, there's, you know, it, it depends on where you are in a career. And there's a lot of benefit to, for example, going to a large organization as well with a lot of processes and really learning like, oh, this is the proper way to, for example, do a clinical trial or to do regulatory. And I, I think there's a lot that people can also bring from a larger company to a smaller company or or vice versa. Yeah. And for people who are looking to make a transition to work with startups, would you have advice for the kinds of questions they should be asking to see, you know, what might make a good fit for them there? Yeah. So for a startup especially, it's really important to think of the opportunity actually like an investor you know, instead of investing your, your money in, say, like a stock, you're investing your your time and your energy for however long you're at that company. And so it's really important to ask the hard questions. Even if you're going for a more junior role at a startup, it's still important to ask the hard questions about the company. And at the end of the day, you can't do well if your company doesn't exist. So it's it's really important to figure out the trajectory of the company too. It's important to ask the founders a lot of questions to figure out, are they, do they have special insights on this field or why, why are they, you know, why are they the founders of the company and really understand what their special take is on a particular field. And, and then I would say the, you know, um, I, I would never be shy about asking a startup about their financials and in terms of, you know, how much is, what what is your burn rate? How much runway do you have? That Those are all really important questions to ask. And especially in the current economic climate, that's really critical to understand. Does the startup need to raise money in a year? Does it need, does it have more runway for two years? Um, and then the other piece is also to understand the traction. And so whether... Revenue is, is always ideal, but whether there's different parts of traction, and this may be dependent on the industry. So in healthcare, for example, if you're going for therapeutic or a medical device, the regulatory piece is a good indication of traction as well. And, um, and, and also culture is something that is really critical too, that especially when you're working in a small org, culture is so important. You really want to make sure you like the people that you work with and 
that it's a good environment where you can succeed. Yeah, I think those are all really, really great. And then I think that that was a lot of the like the questions that I wanted to cover. And you did a really good job explaining the transition and what your role has been like. Do you have anything else that you would like to share before we wrap up? Um, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed this conversation today. And I think that the main thing I'd like to share is for the scientists in the audience. I know that when I was in the lab working to make that transition from science to industry, it was definitely kind of an anxious time to figure out like, oh my gosh, I've spent ten over 10 years at the bench, um, but I don't necessarily want to be at the bench anymore doing pipetting or whatever. But there are so many transferable skills from science to industry that it really equips you well for any kind of environment. If you want to go to a startup and deal with ambiguity, you actually are very well equipped for that because a lot of times your experiments take you in unexpected directions. And you know, being a scientist means you are really good at learning new areas. And that's an incredibly transferable skill. Yes, I love that. Transferable skills are one of those things that I think it's really easy for people to dismiss. They can struggle to find the connection there. But taking the time to actually be like, what do I actually do? And then be like, okay, this actually does line up with this job description. And like there, I have success potential here. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. And uh, thank you so much for hosting me today. Those were great questions and I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah. And if listeners are interested in connecting with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Oh, yeah. So feel free to ping me on LinkedIn. And I believe um, you should have the, the link to my LinkedIn. Yep. I'll put it in the show notes so that people can find you there and reach out if they have questions about transitioning from, you know, research field, potentially, if that's something that you're willing to connect with anyone on. Yeah, I would say, yeah, happy to connect with people on that topic or life sciences or healthcare. Yeah, perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Mace. This was a really wonderful conversation. I swear, the more women that I meet and that I speak with, the more stories I hear, the more excited it makes me about the representation that we see of women in tech. And Mace is just one of those amazing examples of a pivot from a STEM career into something different but adjacent and having meaning and just being able to specify in something that she has such passion for. And that's what I want people to understand is there is a place for you in tech in what you love doing. And I am so lucky to be able to highlight those stories as a part of the She Sparks Tech podcast. Thank you for tuning in and for listening to this episode. You will find another episode again in two weeks. In the meantime, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It means so much to our little podcast, our little community. And you can find all of the She Sparks Tech social links in the show notes. Cheers. Cheers.